0: What up? What up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast spe- Special Weekend Edition. Gonna talk mostly about boxing tonight with the great Robert Silva, who I met in New York right at Madison Square Garden during WrestleMania weekend. What's up, Robert?
1: Yeah, right in front of the mecca of boxing. Um, yeah, yeah the 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 Rod Darling of the Wrestling Observer. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> Uh, sad news uh he's got some type of massive uh uh the reports came out that, that he had he to take a leave of absence. Ron Darling, one of the great color commentators, former Met uh pitcher, uh double G's father, he just doesn't know about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Is what's the story behind it? I
1: don't it? know, he has he, got some type, maybe a, a tumor in his chest. Um they, 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 they found a tumor in his chest, so he has to take a leave of absence and Right, just as the controversy over comments he made in his book about Lenny Dykstra has come out, you know a whole lot of controversy. Uh, Dykstra is suing him for libel. Wow. Um, yeah. So, uh, hopefully everything works out for, for Ron Darling. I mean, miss him on the. I'm going to miss him on the Met telecast because he is a tremendous color commentator in the Met color commentating team. The entire Met broadcasting team: Keith Fernandez, Gary Cone, and Ron Darling. I mean. One of the best, in the Mets, like your San Francisco Giants, has had a tradition of great baseball announcers since the, the team began. I mean, in 1962, you had the triumvirate of Lindsey Nelson, Ralph Kiner, and Bob Murphy, and all three men are in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Kiner for his baseball prowess, but the other two for their announcing prowess. And then uh, later on, you had the great team of, Ralph Kiner and Tim McCarver. Tim McCarver, one of the all-time great color men in baseball history. And then, starting in 1989, I believe, Jerry Cohen joined the broadcast booth. And And he's well on his way to Hall of Fame career. And him, Keith, and Ron Dollar, for over the last 10 to 15 years, have been tremendous as probably the best color team, the best announcing team in baseball, and he's going to sorely be missed.
0: I don't I don't know if I've ever had this conversation with you, but Dwight Gooden was probably my favorite non-giant for five or six years. And uh, he's
1: my second he's my second favorite men of all time. Uh, the, the, Doc should have been a Hall of Famer. One of the him and Darryl threw the biggest waste. And Daryl had a cup of coffee with the San Francisco Giants in 1994. Absolutely. One of the two biggest wastes of talent in the history of baseball. In the history of sports, that's right up there with Michael Ray Richardson and Derek Coleman. To to me, the former, all four New York athletes, the four most talented players to waste their abilities in the history of sports.
0: Okay, but outside of Der- Derek, and and I don't, I don't know if Der- I don't think Derek had this problem. But what's the common denominator out of the other three?
1: Uh, cocaine. Oh, well, De- Derek. Derek was a party partyer, but it didn't affect his play. It, it was his attitude, and he was lazy. Yeah, he was fucking. Derek Coleman had all the ability in the world. He had more ability than Carl Malone when it came to doing everything. He was a better passer than Malone. He was just as good a rebound. He was a better shooter than Malone. He could do it all. He was just lazy. Lazy. It, that, that's the best way I can describe it. When He wanted, he could have been a 30-20 guy if he wanted to. He, he was just lazy. The other three, Mike Ray Richardson was one of the great pure point guards of the, of the late 70s, early 80s. He had Hall of Fame ability, and he was one of the great defensive guards of all time. Cocaine destroyed his career, and we all know that the, the trials and tribulations of Doc and Daryl.
0: Absolutely. When uh, uh, 1984, my dad got tickets to the uh, the MLB All Star Game. So you know, it's at Candlestick Park. One of the oh, pro- probably God. a probably a mistake yeah. to have that game at Candlestick Park, by the way, because <laughs> it's so windy and it's like it's just so bad. But
1: and I, they should have known better, because 20 years prior, in the early to mid-60s, I'm saying 64, I think it was 65.
0: 60, yeah, 62. Maybe. It was one of those years, right around that time frame.
1: One of those years, around that time, they had it, and I forgot the name of the pitcher. One of the pitcher was blown off the mound during the off star game. It was so windy. Stu, I forgot the name of the pitcher.
0: Stu Miller balked.
1: There you go. Because there he got go. blown off the mound. <laughs> He got blown off the mound. That's how windy was. So they should have learned their lesson. But um, there was an agreement. I still I think the agreement still exists today that every major league baseball team has to have a chance to host at least one All-Star game. And so it was the Giants' turn in um, 1984. And that was the, cl- the classic All-Star game where the 19-year-old Doc Good came in and blew away <laughs> – uh, who's who of American League All-Stars. I,
0: I want to say it was he and Fernando back-to-back, and they struck out like yes.
1: six was, guys in a row or something like that. In a row, Yeah, I, yes. And it was just, I mean, Gooden, like DeGrom is today, and it's sad the DeGrom's going to lose tonight, but they, Jacob DeGrom is the first New York Met pitcher to be the best pitcher in baseball since Dwight Gooden. Uh, from 1984 to 1987, Dwight Gooden was just unstoppable.
0: Yeah, he and he and Roger. It was it was either you pick 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 which one you wanted. You well, want you want Doc? Well, you want Roger?
1: Gooden was the Cy Young Award winner in '85. Clemens' first full season was '86. So Doc was the best pitcher in baseball before Clemens. So uh, quickly,
0: before we talk about boxing, because we're going to spend an hour talking about this stuff. Yeah. Uh your thoughts on the beginning of the NBA playoffs with without not we're barely in the first round. Everyone's played uh their their, their game one. Your uh I'm, I'm, your 76ers I'm,
1: I'm, I'm disgusted with that play yesterday. That was a travesty. If Brett Brown is not careful, he is about to get fired. If even if they get past the Nets, which is if he was 50-50 right now. Um, The Nets, I love their coach. Their coach is a tremendous – their coach reminds me of Brad Stevens when Stevens first came in the league. He's a tremendous – Kenny's a tremendous coach. They play hard for him. They're hungry. The Sixers think they could just show up and beat the Nets. They're down one zip. They're in danger of losing this series. And whether they win this – let's say they come back and win this series, they're not beating – they're not getting past the second round. And Brown, hopefully his tenure as coach of the Sixers is, is over. He's not a good coach. I want to see somebody like a Jeff Van Gundy come in and take over the reins that emphasize defense. This team does not play defense, yet they have talent out there. Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. These guys can play defense if they want to. They have the talent. They don't play defense. Embiid is a beast, but he's out there hurt and pleased. Somebody, shackling. Why is he taking three-point shot <laughs> after three-point shot? He's unguardable down low. It was just disgraceful watching that game yesterday.
0: Okay, so what's your finals pick?
1: Uh, I like your finals pick, uh, but I don't know about the, the I don't know about the Raptors. Well, uh, the Raptors did something. lose game one. And um, Lowry's a choker in the, in the in the playoffs, and he always has the ball. I mean, Kawhi Leonard is a clutching to come. But Kyle is the point guard. He's he, 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 he's going to hold the ball. They're going to win this series, but I don't see them going to the finals. I think it's either going to be Milwaukee or Boston to lose to uh, soon to be four-time world champ a Golden State Warriors.
0: Well, I, I like I like what you're saying. I think the Warriors do have. Uh, They they have a favorable uh, bracket coming along as long as they can beat uh, Houston in that second round. I
1: think the only only team I think that might give trouble, and I thought the same thing last year, are the Portland Trailblazers because of their dynamic guard combination. I love their guard play. But even that, the Warriors have too much firepower. And, I mean, Curry, this is the healthiest. I've never seen him in the playoffs. They their run began, and he is on fire, so I I just don't see anything stopping them this year, and um, I think they know this team's about to be broken up, so they're playing hard. They're <laughs> playing, they playing, they're playing hard because some changes about to be to happen in Golden State. Absolutely. All right, so uh,
0: we got that out of the way. We are here to talk the sweet science of boxing, and you know, there's a there's a bunch of things I want to talk to you about. One of mm-hmm. which is. The, uh, just your thoughts on the, uh, the, the final episode of the Fabulous Four podcast that Duan and I did. I know that you've, you've kind of been following a little bit, and you have a lot of thoughts about yeah. that era. We're going to—go ahead. I have,
1: I, have listened, I have listened to every episode. One thing I want to commend you and Duan is the research you guys have done for the show. I mean, most of the stuff you've talked about throughout the entire series I knew off the top of my head. I love the accuracy, and it, 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 it's just you—you you being you. I mean, we're all creatures of habit. You research everything. You don't like to just go to things off the top of the head. I noticed that with the shows you do with Dave and Brian, and with and John the Rock Rocker. <laughs> you like? Yeah, I mean, you are a you you you're, you are you make sure that your facts are correct or accurate before you bring it out. Even on Twitter, when you tweet, you're like, like earlier today, uh, Will Cooling tweeted out, is it true today that judges still, they have one referee, that judges just the, the the fight, and you're like, well, I think it happened in the 80s, which is you were exactly correct, except when it came to WBA, WBC, and IBF title fights. I made, I made the, the point. In 1951, when Sugar Ray Robinson lost his world middleweight title to Randy Turpin in London, there was one referee, and he didn't even, they didn't even announce the decision. When the bell rang, he raised Turpin's hand. Wow. The scorecard had Turpin winning the fight. In 1980, when Marvin Hagler went to London to fight Alan Mitter and he destroyed him, as you covered in your, your series. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a massacre. I can't believe one one, uh, uh, one judge actually gave him a round. <laughs> he, gave it to he took a beating for three rounds. Yep. It was a massacre. Uh, there was, there was three judges. So back in the 1980s, there would be one judge for the British Board of of Boxing Control. And the European Boxing Union fights that were held in England, the referee would be the solo judge. But WBA, IBF, and WBC title fights, they used the three judges.
0: Well, yeah, you know, the thing about research to me is, I, like, if I'm going to put information out there, like, I want it to yeah. be... I want it to be correct because, A, people are going to fact check you no matter what. And, B, especially if you have uh, an audience that may not know as much as you about that particular thing.
1: And you they, want they, them to. They're taking, your, they're taking your word as bond right? right.
0: You want them to walk away with some information that they could use and that, that you know, that they can kind of put in their memory banks. And, and so that, that, you know, that that's kind of why. But, yeah, you know, so we're going to talk about that at the end of this podcast. I want to throw some stuff at you. This was a this was a weekend of, of, of a bunch of fights and none of them really, uh, re- really, really was, was, was anything no, special.
1: Yeah, no. and-, and, and one thing I want to talk about last night's fight, Saturday night's fight. This has got to stop. It's got to stop. Got to stop having. You, you have had two you've had two cards on a lot the the last year since the Zone and ESPN Plus apps have come into existence. You've had too many Saturday nights and then don't win UFC, where you got competing fight cards all at the same time. This has got to stop. There used to be a time, and it stopped sometime, not sometime within the last 10 years. In the, throughout the 90s and the early 2000s, HBO and Showtime would make sure not to have competing cards. It was like they had a gentleman's agreement. All right, if you're going to hold it on the 20th, I hold it the following Saturday on the 27th or the 13th. Or oh, you gonna have a card on Saturday night? I'll have it on Friday night. Uh, but then all of a sudden they began putting on the same nights, and it didn't make any sense, and it would it, it doesn't do boxing good, especially during the pay per view era when you had you would have a major pay per view fight one night on HBO pay per view and Showtime would throw a card out there, it divides the audience, and it uh, began to become a regularity. 12 to 13 years ago and now it's gotten out of hand last night double g you had three cards on at the same four. if you include ufc on at the same time and you it it divides the audience that you can't make maximum profit that way you can't so what is your thought
0: process on the new kind of the new schedule with boxing now you have so many networks and streaming services who believe that this product is valuable. And that's a good thing because boxing hasn't always been seen as a valuable product,
1: but... It's always it's always been valuable, and I mentioned this last year when we did the show with Duong. Every time a new type of broadcasting um, technology comes out, boxing and wrestling... And now UFC, because it's a mixture of both, yep. are, the, are, are the first ones that they use because it's easy to broadcast and it's cheaper than any other sport to try and purchase. If you look, radio, the first sport on radio was boxing. And then later on professional wrestling. Radio, radio came into existence. now When television first came into existence in 1948, Boxing and wrestling were on all the time. You had Friday night fights, and you had the Dumont network wrestling mm-hmm. cards. See, because it was you you probably only needed one camera, easy one announcer, boom, cheap to produce. When cable television exploded in the 1970s, and especially beginning when ESPN came onto the air in 1980, boxing and wrestling. We're on all the time because it was cheap to produce. You only need one camera, boom. And now the same is is the streaming services, the Zone, ESPN Plus. It's um, you've got boxing, and then um, is the Zone in, in negotiations for AEW to to uh to uh, get the AEW deal?
0: I don't think so from the stuff that I've heard. I don't okay. imagine right. that they're in the mix because the the company the, the company that's been rumored to be in the mix has been Turner. And Turner has yes, their own Turner Turner has their own bleacher report live streaming service. Okay. So I would imagine okay. right. that they would be All a part right. of that deal if that happens.
1: But still, that there you go. There's a streaming system. So every time a new type a Broadcasting technology, whether it be the beginning of radio, television, cable, and now streaming services, boxing and wrestling are the first things that are the first sports and type of programming that they attack. So I understand why they did that. What I don't understand is the zone giving out all this money. (laughs) Now uh, 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 ESPN is different. They're owned by Disney. Yeah. They're they're a multi-billion-dollar organization they have to, I don't know where the zone is getting this money from. And they hired John Skipper, who was tremendous last week on matter of fact, shout, uh, shout out to double G. Cause I never knew Bill Simmons had a podcast. I love Bill Simmons. Uh, double G told me a couple of months ago, check out his podcast with Spike Lee. I love Bill Simmons' podcast. I mean, it's free form radio and he just talks from the hip and the guest he has on is tremendous. So he had on his former boss, John Skipper, but, uh, Bill didn't ask him this question. I wish he would where the hell are they getting this money from? they are throwing <laughs> mil, I mean probably over a billion dollars they're not getting the bag for their bucks I can't see it all this money they're throwing out they can't I, you and you recently mentioned on your podcast with John LaRocca how they doubled their monthly pricing. yeah uh, went from nine ninety nine to ninety nine for their monthly service and I understand why are they giving Joshua uh triple G and Canelo all of, I mean, he gave Canelo a boatload of money. I can't see and I think this is the reason why Deontay Wilder turned down their deal. I think one me. there's two major reasons Deontay Wilder turned down their deal. A, he's managed by Shelley Finkel and advised by Al Heyman mm-hmm. and Al Heyman tied with Premier. Yep. He's not gonna he's not he's Wilder is very loyal and, and Heyman has made him a ton of money. He's not gonna go and Go against Al Heyman. Al Heyman told him, look, stay with Premier. Plus, there's guaranteed money there. I don't know if a year from now, the zone's going to be in business. I mean, they spent a ton of money on Major League Baseball, uh, on getting rights, to, international rights to Major League Baseball. But the way to wait is, is Major League Baseball under, under the zone app?
0: They So, the zone is is mostly like most of their success is in international stuff. So, they have right. MLB. Uh, for international like, now, for the U.S., what they have is a like 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 it's a service where they have a show. I don't know if you've ever watched this show uh, on MLB Network, but it's called the Whip Around, and the, and they kind of you know they,
1: uh, yeah uh, yeah I've watched
0: it. So so they have you know scores and then they throw to games and you can watch the game yeah, for like yeah. two minutes. And so DAZN's, uh show is very similar to the Whip Around. And I think this is just kind of like creating a relationship with the MLB to see if they could do more. Now, Skipper mentioned this in the podcast with Bill Simmons. They're, I think their game is going after, like they're going big game hunting, like when the NFL stuff comes up, you know, maybe when the NBA, other soccer stuff, when all those rights come up, I think they're just going to have to overpay. They're, they're
1: not, they're not going to get those. There's well, no well, way in the you, world. Okay, so you might, you might be right. No, there's no way in the world, Fox. Disney, uh, uh, Viacom, is going to lose those properties. I mean, especially the NFL. There's no way in the world, there's no way in the world they're going to let somebody like The Zone come in and scoop scoop that up from them. They will will match any, because I think their contracts have it where they can match any offer. They're not losing the rights to those games. Um, the, The Fox Network was built on the NFL. There is no Fox. If it wasn't for the NFL, I know they had married with children and Beverly Hills, <laughs> Beverly 90210, Hills, 90210. But, but NFL when they got the NFL contract in nineteen ninety four, Fox has flourished ever since. They were losing a ton of money before they got the NFL. Uh, the NFL that made
0: Fox okay. Fox but you, that that's, that's a great. A, it's a, it's an absolutely yeah. great analogy because yeah, you know pe- people wouldn't know this now, but you know. 25 years ago when they yes, did go after the before. when they did go after before. the NFL, nobody thought that Fox could get it because they just figured that CBS was gonna re-up the rights for the for the NFC. And what how did Fox get it? They knocked the NFL on their ass with, with, the, an, offer. with an offer. And
1: NBC and NBC didn't even try and get the AFC back. They CBS got the AFC. hmm
0: And so if you are D zone and you want to get into that game? The NFL is going to milk those guys for a price, yes. just so that yes. they could go back to their other partners and say, "Well, this is what DAZN is offering," and thus, you know, create the leverage. and And maybe DAZN doesn't get it, but I think they just want to be at the table. And I think that's, you know, that that's kind of what they have to do. Now, where where does where does DAZN get this money? I think it's just like rich Russian. Billionaires,
1: like I think that's literally yeah, what it is. Gotta, it's it's got to be, and I, I, I they got to be bleeding money right now. They have to. I, I can't. They, I mean, anybody is anybody. I know the WWE has to report their network numbers every three months. Yep. Uh, anybody know what 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 the those uh, subscriber rates are? The subscription rates are it can't, I mean, be it can't, it can't be a lot. It cannot be a lot because most people I know. Don't even don't even mess with it, and you know what's hurting apps like ESPN Plus and the Zone is YouTube and Daily Motion. The Jaime Mugaia fight—I fell asleep through the fight. Um, the you uh, know I fell asleep through the fourth round. I woke up to the night round. So this morning I was up at five in the morning, and for shits and giggles, I checked to see if the fight was on YouTube or Daily Motion so I could re- re-watch it for tonight's podcast. It was up and running both. Daily Motion YouTube had it in pristine, high depth. I mean, it was the <laughs> Russian. It was the Russian sea, A download from a Russian um, a telecast, and mm-hmm. it was perfect. There was, I was like, wow. I mean, that's what's holding it back too. They got to find a way for YouTube to ban YouTube and Daily Motion from having it posted on their site because every DAZN card. because I'm a to tell a secret. I have a huge fight collection, and so. I download off of YouTube a Daily Motion onto my server, and then I rip it onto a TVT and put <laughs> it in my collection, right? <laughs> I can't do that if Daily Motion and, and YouTube cannot put it on, uh, or not, if it's not being posted on Daily Motion and YouTube. Right. Every Dazzle card and ESPN Plus card has been put on, and I've successfully been able to rip a DVD and put it onto my collection. Now, eventually, it gets taken down. But not before fight collectors like myself get a hold of it, and that's going. That is to me damaging because all you gotta do is turn uh, uh G, G, is turn off your phone and not listen to the, stay off Twitter, stay off social media, and uh, make sure your friends don't contact you. Oh, did you see that fight? And then four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning, you go on and you 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 do the search on YouTube, Daily Motion, get the fight, hit watch it and then do whatever you want with it but now you've seen it as It was live.
0: So going back to the question, what do you think yeah. about all the product that is available to you now?
1: Well, it's 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 a heaven for hardcore fight fans like myself. It's it's, it's heaven cuz I mean today reminds me of the early 80s where when 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 boxing was on all week Saturday and Sunday on ABC, CBS, and NBC. Well, every weekend since September, boxing has been on ESPN, ESPN+, The Zone, Fox, Fox Sports. Although every weekend you have at least two fight cards. You don't go a weekend, uh, unless it's Christmas or New Year's, you don't go a uh, weekend without boxing. So I love it. I love it because they have been, cause, um, there have been times throughout the years well, there'll be three or four weeks where you won't throughout the year where you where you won't even have one fight card over the weekend this this the last eight months have been at least two cards every weekend so it's a haven for for the hardcore fan like myself well what disappoints me what what is making it what pisses me off besides the prices, that people have to pay to watch this before all you needed was a cable subscription. Now you, if you want to see every fight, you have to pay upwards of 40 or $40 a month in some cases, besides that is that these guys are all tied down to these either subscription based networks or the promoters that promote them. And now you have a divide among all the divisions and the best fighters in each division are not fighting each other. And this is what I love, we'll talk about this later, about the Fat Four, the Four Kings of Boxing. hmm They, they make sure they fought each other. They made, Don King promoted Roberto Duran, and Ray Leonard was a free agent who, used, who mostly used Bob Arum, but they found a way to make the fight. Right. They found a way to make the fight, okay? Uh, that does, that, that, that's not happening today. These guys, oh, oh, I'm a premier fighter. I'm a Showtime fighter. I, I'm a, I'm a matchroom room fighter. I, I'm a top rank fighter. These guys aren't getting the ring. Terrence Crawford is fighting Amir Khan next week on pay per view. It's a travesty. It's robbery. <laughs> For seventy dollars, you got to see one of the top two fighters in the world fight a washed up China chin bum who's got no shot in the world of winning this fight. Nick, Bob Arum, and Top Rank, and ESPN. They could promote this shit to high noon. Only way Amir Khan wins this fight next week is if Terence Crawford breaks his leg. All right? <laughs> then again, and then again, that might not be enough because he will have one good leg. Amir Khan has not been a, a good fighter since, since uh, Danny Garcia knocked him the fuck out. All right? He has been on reputation since then. We're talking six, seven years now, Double G. He is, he's, he's, he's washed up. He's nobody. He's Every time he has stepped up in competition, he has gotten his ass kicked. All right, the best two wins on his on his record are guys that everybody else has beat: uh, Zab Judah and Paulie Malinowski. Whoopsie damn dude. Everybody's beating them. All right? Everybody's beating them. All right, so that doesn't mean anything to me. If you put him in a ring with Adrian Broda, it'd be a 50-50 fight, okay? Because <laughs> Broda might land one shot, and he's got to go to the hospital. So no, this <laughs> fight makes no damn sense, and it's going to take a bath. They have to give away tickets at Madison Square Garden because I don't even think it's half full. All right, I mean, I get offers all the time by email. 50 oh, percent off for Crawford because, if you notice, uh, double G, if you're if you're a fan of anything, uh, you'll get emails saying, "Oh, uh, you do, here's a twenty five percent discount." To go, I live in New York City. <laughs> Fuck you! I'm not watching. I'm not <laughs> going to the garden. I'm not going to the garden, and I'll be watching this for free on on my on, on my illegal means. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so so
1: I won't even go to the movie theater to see this. I, shit. Get out of here! I, I it's think, a highway robbery.
0: I think I'm going to the movie theater just because I want to see Crawford. I want to see him do his thing. You know, a, a lot of the time for me, it's just. Who do I want to see that I think are, are yeah, hey, he, high-class guys he, 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 and, and I want to see something. them perform? I,
1: I, I would love to see him fight live, and I have an opportunity, but the prices, even with a discount, the prices for this fight are ridiculous, and I'm not wasting my money seeing Terrence Cry. It's funny because... uh, how, how many years ago was this? I saw Sugar Shane Mosley at the Garden after he beat De La Hoya when he fought uh, Referto Rivera in uh, the... the in, uh, what is now the Hulu Theater at Madison Square Garden, uh-huh. where we were standing right outside of last week, yep. the, small, the, 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 the small building right adjacent to Madison Square Garden. And the ticket prices I paid, and they were very decent tickets. I paid $25 a, a pop for those tickets, wow. right? Shea Mosley, at the time, was considered and was the best fighter in the world at that time, okay? And, and, and now you want to see who's considered. The, you don't want to know these fucking ticket prices. They're fucking outrageous. Fuck out of here! <laughs> <laughs> All right, quickly. But go back to your question. No, no, no. Back, quickly, right.
0: let's go through a yeah. couple of fights last night. You also, you already mentioned Munjaya. Yeah. Um, he won a he won a close decision over the Immortal One, Dennis Hogan, who a lot of people you know thought what? Hogan won the fight.
1: He gave away the first two rounds by running. The first two rounds, Hogan ran and he ran, and um, I understood why he did it, but. If he would have threw any punches in both rounds, he wins the decision. He lost 115-113, 116-112, and 114-114. All three judges gave gear the first two rounds because Hogan did nothing but run. Hogan dominated the, the last five rounds. I mean, he the way I scored this fight, I had rounds one through five I gave to Mungaya because Mungaya was landing these wild right hands Mm -hmm. while Hogan was running. Beginning with the sixth round, Hogan began landing his own, and Mungai was exhausted. And from rounds 9 through 12, it was all Hogan. Hogan dominated the second half of the fight. I had a 115-113 Munguia, just like one of the judges. And like the three judges, I gave Munguia the first two rounds, not because he did anything, but because Hogan ran, and Mungai was the aggressor. Nothing happened the first two rounds. Those two rounds were the key to who won the fight. If he would have just thrown and landed some punches, he would have scored the upset of the year. Mugaia last night was exposed. Uh, when he's fighting the punching bag like the guys he's fought, he'll knock them out. But when he gets into the ring with the Charlos, with Andrade, with Triple G, with uh, Canelo, with Daniel Jacobs, he's going to lose. Because those guys are highly skilled boxers that will exp- that that will exploit his his, 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 his flaws. And he's got the, he's a tremendous and don't put him in the ring with Jared Hurt because Jared Hurt will put guy in the hospital.
0: Okay, what about Lomachenko? Lomachenko beat. Uh, Kro- oh come Kro- on!
1: Another this, this, <laughs> this was a fucking disgrace. This guy had no business in the ring with Lomachenko. The only reason Krola got a shot was because Richard Comey, who would have been a live underdog, broke his hand in his last fight, winning the IBF uh, uh, vacant title. Comey, another another exciting fighter from Ghana, and Ghana's had a tradition of fighters with great chins and great punching power, all the way to the great Azuma Nelson, the greatest African fighter of all time. Comey would have had a punch his chance, because that right hand, which is the Achilles heel, of Vasily Lomachenko, Linares knocked him down with a beautiful right cross. He would have had a shot. I don't he would have won the fight, but that right hand is a game-changer. Kobe has one of the best right crosses in boxing. He broke that right hand, and he was unable to fight. So, Krola stepped in a few months ago, took the fight, and I knew from the minute they signed this fight that this was a mismatch. Crolla had no shot. Krola easily got beat by Jorge Linares two times. The way the world Crowler was going, it was ridiculous. It was it was a mismatch from the beginning, and Crowler lost every second of the fight. He didn't, he, he, he I don't even know if he wanted to weigh <laughs> it.
0: So, uh, also on, on, on FS1 last night, Peter Quillen he, uh, he had a fight and it ended in a no decision due to a cut and,
1: and, and because. Because Caleb Truax didn't want to fight anymore. That was an excuse. He was getting his ass kicked. He was going to get his ass kicked. He had lost the first two rounds. And, he, he, and when they stopped the fight, the blood had stopped. But in boxing, they always give the victim of the headbutt the benefit of the doubt. If he can't continue, the fight hasn't gone a complete four rounds. It's a technical decision. I saw Julio Cesar Chavez rob Frankie Randall in their rematch by quitting. Do the head he's I can't, I can't fight anymore. They took a and WBC rules are that the guy that, that that doesn't get cut gets a point deducted. I don't know their reasoning behind that. And Frankie Randall was robbed of the WBC junior Win championship in the rematch after he was the first man to officially beat Julio Cesar Chavez, even though there were a few times he should have lost. Mildred Taylor and got and Whittaker got robbed against Julio Cesar Chavez. But I hate that. They give the fighter who's been butted and the benefit of the doubt, if he can't continue, either it's a technical draw or we or we go to the scorecards if enough rounds have been completed. So he was going to lose that fight, so fuck it. I'm getting paid. I quit. Uh, Quillen looked good, but everybody looks good against Truax. He's a java to the start.
0: What do you think about Quillin in 2019?
1: Uh, he's a live underdog, but of the middleweights that we're talking about or even super middleweight now, even the super middleweight division, where it's very, very talented, where you uh, I would love to see him fight uh Junior, Ubag Jr., Chris Ubag Jr. That would be a very exciting fight.
0: So uh I also watched the Clarissa Shields fight, uh, and that that was a pretty one sided uh victory by, by Clarissa. You told me that you yes, don't I, watch I, women's boxing. I,
1: I will give you my reasoning. And this is and my girlfriend. My, my girlfriend is highly upset when we first started dating five years ago. And um, she was like, Oh, there's a there's a woman's fight. I nah, You love boxing. I nah, don't nah, Change the channel. <laughs> Wait, what? so, anybody so why? Knows, anybody who knows me knows that my third favorite athlete of all time, my first two favorite athletes are Ali and Tommy Hurts. Mm hmm. My third favorite athlete of all time is Serena Williams. She is, and they, I, they, I, there's no argument. She is the single greatest athlete in the history, female athlete, in the history of the world. There's no female athlete that is on is, uh, is, uh, is, the same planet as her. She is the greatest female athlete of all time. Serena Williams, if she was a basketball player, would have been an all-time great basketball player. If she was a volleyball player, whatever, she would have she all the talent in the world, uh, athletically, she is gifted. If she was a boxer, I wouldn't watch her. I have a... Your boy Dane made a great point of, of what uh what was his mentor's name? The legendary writer Frank DeFord.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Frank DeFord and Dane's father both told him the same thing about how they uh, were disillusioned with boxing because so many great fighters that they grew up watching, and that DeFord knew DeFord was a friend of Ali. And he he no longer wanted to watch boxing because he saw what it did to Ali, what it did to Sugar Ray Robinson, what what it did to those fighters. Okay, these are men. If you ever listen to Christy Martin talk today and you see the effects of what boxing did to her, women are not built like men. So that's why I don't follow women's boxing because I know the damage and the toll it takes on men. Just imagine the toll it takes on women. And the women so far, historically, have not been as athletically gifted as the men. Um, Leila Ali was not a great fighter. She mm-hmm. wound up undefeated. She wound up undefeated because she was promoted carefully and they picked her up... And then when they did fight Christy Martin, that was a mismatch because she was like 50 pounds heavier Yeah, yeah. I, Leila Lee, beautiful woman. I never wanted her to fight. Her father didn't want her to fight, but because her father loved her unconditionally, he went to to fights. But she she'll she'll be the first to admit her father was dead set against her boxing. And I think she wanted she became a boxer to get her father's attention and to prove to her father that she could do it. All credit due to her, and she made a ton of money doing it. And if you listen to her speak, she wasn't affected by what happened. She was lucky, and plus she was protected yeah she was sheltered so what I is the want, sto- uh, what is the
0: story with christy martin i haven't i haven't heard about her in a long time
1: uh she has dementia wow
0: and she can't be that old
1: no she's not she's uh christy's about the same age as me and i'm i'll be 51 in a few weeks so no no uh, christy was a brawler and she was a coal miner's daughter she came out through the coal mine she fought away. She, she was fighting since she was a little girl, so she suffered a lot of damage. Wow, a, a lot of damage, and I don't. That's why I don't follow women's boxing. I I can't the the, the woman's body and the people. My girlfriend says I'm sexist, but dude, I don't follow. I don't follow MMA because of the same thing. And Ronda Rousey and Holly Holm, they've done a they they they're great fighters, but yeah. I can't follow that because I know the da- I know the damage that it does to men. Just imagine. Multiply the amount of damage that it can do to a woman. Mm-hmm. That's why I can't, I can't, I I, I, I can't watch it. No matter how skilled, and I love the Serena Williams, greatest female athlete of all time. My favorite. I was a huge fan of former met, met great Ray Knight's wife, Nancy Lopez, mm-hmm.
2: great the golfer. golfer. The golfer,
1: great golfer. I love Nancy Lopez. Uh, as a kid, I loved Martina Navratilova. She was the best I ever saw until Serena surpassed her. All right, uh, uh chandice parker cynthia cooper the greatest basketball team i've ever seen were not the golden state warriors were not the chicago bulls it was the 2012 and 2016 united states women's olympic basketball teams because those were perfect teams double g I know you watch the games. Everybody touched the ball. They played de- They played full-court press. They, they played defense. They, they were beating people by 70 points.
0: Diana Taurasi. Is-
1: oh, a tremendous team. Both teams. The 2012, that's basketball perfection. This is women's basketball. That woman's. that United States Olympic team could beat any female team in the history of the sport. Cheryl Miller it's better than Richie Miller ever was
2: <laughs> better.
1: she was one of, she was the best uh Miller that ever played the game even Re- reggie first.
0: Reggie will say that too
1: all right she, he, she used to kick his ass and if you ever watch the 30 for 30 uh Reggie Miller the Knicks, you'll you hear how he was bullied <laughs> by his sister on the, on the basketball court and but he became a best better better basketball player because he was competing with his sister who was better than he ever could be she was and she's on the short list of the greatest uh, female basketball players of all time. Nancy Lieberman, tremendous basketball player before women's basketball exploded. I love I love all these athletes, but if they were boxers, I couldn't follow them.
0: Yeah, I know. I, I mean, I, I get it. I, I definitely understand. Yeah. Um, so let let's actually move on to uh some fights that are upcoming. You already made your thoughts on Crawford and Khan and I think most everyone expects uh, yeah. expects, you know, they, they expect the same thing as us on, on this fight. But there's some other fights coming up. Um Dezone's biggest fight coming up is Canelo and, and Daniel Jacobs. What what do you think about that fight? You know, it's going to be uh the
1: the, the, fir- the first real uh competitive matchup of the year that's high profile. Yeah. The first one. Because everything else, uh, Spence Garcia, Crawford, Khan, uh, uh, Pacquiao, Brona, one-sided mismatch. Yeah. His fight will not be a one-sided mismatch. Daddy Jacob is going to come to win, but he's not going to win. Canelo's either going to win a close but decisive decision, no controversy, or stop Jacob's late. Uh, Canelo has gotten better Year after year, since losing the Floyd Mayweather, he has gotten better. He's going to be one of the five greatest Mexican fighters of all time, and that's hard to do because if you've ever listened to my podcast, the, the Mexicans at the top of the food chain are some of the greatest fighters. In my opinion, the greatest Mexican fighter of all time is the late great Salvador Sanchez. I mean, he was oh my god, he was unbelievable. Number two. Was Ricardo Finito Lopez, a guy that a lot of people haven't seen because he was strawweight, mm-hmm. but he was a perfect—he was a perfect fighter, and he also retired undefeated. Uh, number three on my list would be Julio Cesar Chavez. Uh, a lot of people consider him the best Mexican fighter of all time, but unlike the other two guys, Sanchez and Lopez, Chavez had flaws. Yeah. He had problems against boxers. Sanchez and, and Lopez did not have problems against any type of fighter. They could adjust to your style. Chavez couldn't. If you were a boxer, like I had fast hands like Taylor or Whitaker, he had problems. Frankie Randall gave him problems. He had problems with boxers. Um, I could see Canelo and then, and then a uh, Ruben Olivera's great power puncher from the 1970s is my fourth. And then Juan Manuel Marquez is my fifth greatest Mexican fighter of all time. I can see Canelo eventually, Going to number, he possibly get to number three. He's not beat. He's not overcoming Sanchez and Lopez. They were perfect fighters, but Canello has gotten since he lost to Floyd Mayweather he, six years ago. He has gotten better every year. He got better between the first and second Triple G fight, and today he is the ultimate boxer puncher. He adjusts his style to your style. I mean, the way he fought Triple G the second time was totally different than the first time. He's one of the few fighters out there that can do that. That can adjust his style. He will adjust to Jacobs. and Jacobs is going to try and box him. He's going to adjust to Jacobs, break down Jacobs, bag that body, and either he knocks out Jacobs late or he went a convincing unanimous decision.
0: How much of a chance does Dominic Brazile have against uh, Deontay Wilder?
1: Uh, slim and nut. Brazil, <laughs> there there hasn't been a punch Brazil has done yet. <laughs> he can't avoid a punch. And the thing about and Wilder's much taller, and Wilder doesn't waste punches, as you saw in this fight with Fury. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't waste punches. Um, Wilder's going to be careful, and Wilder's not going to let Brazil get lucky. Wilder will walk down Brazil. Brazil is a brawler with no type of defense, and there's not a fighter... But, in, in the history of the heavyweight division, the only guy that might have had a bigger right hand than Deontay Wilder was Ernie Chavis. Wilder has a right cross that is just ridiculous. Very flawed fighter. Very flawed. He, 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 he's lazy sometimes. He, he's inactive. But when he lands that right hand, and he's going to land that right hand, they'll be scraping Brazil off the floor.
0: And then, uh, obviously, Anthony Joshua and uh, Baby oh, Miller in Madison Square Garden.
1: Madison Square Garden used to be the mecca boxer, right? It's no longer the mecca boxer because they promote fights there. They they own fights that I don't. Uh, people are going to come see the fight because Joshua is a huge international star, and you'll have people from from England, overseas, yep. that are coming to New York and will sell out Madison Square Garden. They're, MSG will be sold out that night because a lot of people will be coming overseas to see Joshua fight. Uh, Big Baby Miller has never beaten anybody. He has beaten. He has gone to the Julio Cesar Chavez Senior <laughs> and Junior, especially Junior School of Fighting Cab Drivers. You I, look no, but the they're list.
0: they're they're Uber drivers now. They're not just cab drivers.
1: I, well, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> whatever you want to call them. The... Uh, 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 gym teachers whatever you want to call him <laughs> he has yet to fight anybody and how is he getting a huge fight i know how he's getting it they're promoted by the same guy yep and which is uh, i'm disappointed joshua because dillian white is promoted by the same guy yep. and it'd be a much better fight if he fought dillian white instead of fat man they wanted man an Am- no ch-
0: they wanted american though
1: yeah, I know, because they're fighting massive the growth. because they could they could put anybody in the garden. He's gonna sell, sell it out. They could put anybody in the fucking guard. he's gonna sell out. They could put somebody's corpse in the ring, they're gonna sell it out. <laughs> uh, big baby Miller has he has less of a chance than Brazil because at least Brazil got punching power and might get lucky. Jarrell Miller is a short fat fucking slob who's three hundred and something pounds. He's never beaten anybody. And he's going to eat the jab if be put to sleep sometime around the third or fourth round.
0: So that that kind of takes us. I mean, is there any other fights that are kind of on the horizon that I, that, you, that you're looking don't, at?
1: Don't, don't, those are the so-called big. It's been a horrible year for that
2: <laughs>
1: this year, but pathetic. You have so much talent out there, yeah, so much talent being shown on television, and they're not utilizing the. the they're not utilizing all this this, this this television and streaming time to put these guys together. I mean, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Uh,
0: Pacquiao Thurman's being that, talked about, but that hasn't been signed yet.
1: Yeah, pa- Pacquiao beats Thurman, by the way. Thurman has lost the step The two to three years he's been out the ring. He's not the same fighter. If a bum like Jose Cito Lopez could hurt him, imagine what a legend, even though he's past his prime like Manny Pacquiao can do. Uh, Thurman is not the same. Thurman should be fighting Spence. He wants no part of Spence. Uh, that, that fight will never happen. And they're promoted by the same people. That fight will never happen. He will, he's going to stay. He's been done. I, to be honest with you, I don't think he's been hurt these last two years. He doesn't want to fight Spence. That's why he's been on the shelf.
0: All right. So let's talk about some of the, uh, the dream matchups that are out there, which, You know, like we just been talking about, probably not going to happen just because of the politics of where these guys are fighting and what TV uh, streaming service or network is involved. But um, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, post what Crawford does with combat. A lot of people also want to see Crawford and Spence. And how would you how would you peg that one? While
1: Crawford is the second best fighter in the world. He And he's a great, He's one of the greatest switch hitters in the history of boxing. He could fight great either, either way, orthodox or softball. Spence is just too big for Crawford. And um, I can't see Crawford bullying Spence like he does all these other fighters. He's got all the ability in the world, and, it, and they, in my opinion, their ability is dead even. They're, they're equally gifted. I mean these two guys are all-time great and would have been great in any era they're that special Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford Spence is is bigger longer and stronger and I think it's just as quick that's the difference between him and Crawford um I don't I don't know if either man knocks Crawford's not knocking out spence and uh, if anything spence knocks out Crawford but Crawford has so much ability, and uh, his ego probably won't allow him to get knocked out. But I, I see Spence. Hopefully, if that fight happens, winning a convincing uh, decision.
0: Uh, we saw we saw Spence uh, pick apart Mikey Garcia, who was coming up in weight. There's been talk about Lomachenko and Garcia, which probably, of course, because the the, the politics of boxing doesn't happen. But if that fight happened, what, what do you think about Garcia's chances?
1: Three months ago, Garcia beat Solomachenko, possibly even knocking him out. Uh, I don't know right now. Uh, The damage that Spence did to him could be uh, long-lasting. It could affect him for the rest of his career. Uh, We've seen it many a times where a fighter takes a beating and he never recuperates from that uh, beating physically and mentally. I saw it with Melchick Taylor against Julio Cesar Chavez. Melchick Taylor was 23 years old, when he was in that spectacular war, where they stopped the fight with two seconds left against Chavez, both fighters were never the same. But but Chavez, because he had such a great chin, was and he was able to be matched up with one bum after another. <laughs> you didn't see you didn't see that decline right away. Taylor, because he fought everybody, you saw the decline right away, and he was washed up by the age of twenty-five. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that that's a possibility that could have. That could happen with Garcia. We don't know. I won't know until I see his next fight. But he took so much punishment in the corner, his brother and his father did not stop the fight when they should have after the 10th round. Let him continually get beaten on. Actually, after, after the night round he took a tremendous beating. They should have threw the towel in after that round. The three more rounds of unnecessary punishment, in, in my opinion, because he had no shot in the world of winning this fight. He wasn't knocking him out. They just they got to see, oh, he's got to go 12 rounds. We, we can't let him get knocked out, no. It defeats it, it. It defeats the purpose of him continuing. We will see this next fight. Uh, they'll probably put him in against a tomato can, so you won't. Really, it'll be the first guy he fights that's a live opponent that you'll know if if this beating has um, a lasting effect on his career.
0: So there's obviously the love triangle of heavyweights uh, with Tyson Fury, and we talked about Joshua, uh, and, and, and we talked and about Tyson, Wilder.
1: Pastor Fury pissed me the fuck off because he had an automatic rematch with Deontay Wilder and I understand the money grab. And you know what? Let me backtrack there for a second. I'm I'm gonna backtrack. What if he loses to Wilder in the rematch? Is that ESPN plus top rank offer still on the table? So I understand why he took it. So you know what? But he's fighting a guy that no one ever heard of.
0: I've never another fucking
1: cab What's up with these fucking cab drivers? That, that top rank is putting their fighters in with. Their fighters in with. It doesn't make any damn sense to me. They put him on his first fight against a fucking stiff. Nobody ever heard of him. Nobody. I've been, i follow boxing all over the world. I, on a weekly basis, I watch fights with Japan from Mexico. I never heard of this class. <laughs> I never heard of him. Who? I never heard of him. Dr. D, David Schultz?
0: do do you, do you think um because there, there's you know there's a lot of talk about what would happen if these three guys you know eventually did get in the ring with each other but i know that you know if you are on the side uh you know if you're in the uk or you're in europe somewhere you are heavily yeah. pro joshua but a lot of the american fans they don't really believe in joshua as much as as folks o- overseas do you, i mean joshua has all of the you know he sort of has the pedigree but do you think mm-hmm. he has that toughness to, uh, to, to beat both guys?
1: Anthony Joshua is the best heavyweight on the planet, hands down, period. And anybody watched the, the Fury Wilder fight, if Joshua fought both those guys 12 rounds apart, he beats them both that same night. Tyson Fury is not active enough, and Tyson Fury has a shaky chin. And uh, believe you me, if that was Joshua that had knocked down Fury, Joshua goes to the body after he hurts you. Yeah. And I, my father used to always tell me this. And, I, and the great fighters, that's why Deontay Wilder's is not a great fighter. The great fighters, when they got their man on, in trouble, look at Sugar Ray Leonard, look at Marvin Hagler, look at Sugar Ray Robinson, look at Tommy Hearns, Roberto Duran. They know that their opponent is going to protect their face. So they go to the body. They go to the body, break them down, knock them out. Terrace Crawford does that. Lomachenko does that. Errol Spence does that. The great fighters, the all-time great fighters, Joshua did that in his fight against Klitschko. He did that in his fight against Dillian White. The man has the tools to be an all-time great fighter. I just wish Eddie Hearn would take the handcuffs and the training wheels off of Joshua and put him in the ring with Wilder and Fury. He beats them both, period. So, if
0: those fights were possibly to happen... What kind of business do you think they could create? Because
1: Joshua Wilder would do massive business in the United States and overseas. Period. Massive business. Massive business. Will do, sell out movie theaters throughout the country. And pay per view buys would be at least two million. At least two million that, in the United States alone.
0: I mean, I mean that that seems to be, if that Ooh. is the case, that that is enough reason for these guys to kind of you know quit worrying about you know, the the uh, the small pieces of, of, and, of leverage and, that, that they do and, to,
1: to put it together. And, and Joshua versus Fury would be Overseas. the biggest fight ever held in England. It would be the biggest fight ever held in England. Um, Joshua sells 90,000 seats against Bumps. Imagine him against Fury the top two British heavyweights, two of the best British heavyweights of all time, fighting in two undefeated British heavyweights, fighting inside London. There's not an arena big enough not to sell out. I mean, a stadium. I don't know where they could hold it, because Wembley Stadium is 90000 and he sold that out against Klitschko and a couple of stiff cents. It, it, just imagine the, the amount of money it would make overseas. Not so much in America. I don't... I don't even know if it'll do a million buys in America on pay per view, but internationally, it would be it would be a bigger fight internationally than Wilder versus Joshua. But Wilder Joshua would be a bigger fight in the United States right. than Joshua Fuse.
0: All right, so let's put a bow on the Fabulous Four that uh, doing and I. You know, we've been working on this project for a few years now. Um, two
1: years, yeah, two years. Y-
0: yeah, you were at. Sugar Ray Leonard and Terry Norris, which was yeah. uh, a rough fight. If you're a Sugar Ray Leonard fan, um, and and what's interesting is is you know going back to the research, Leonard's actually the favorite going into this fight. And I
1: didn't, uh, I didn't under, my
0: father and I didn't understand that. Yeah, no, 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 and I, I agree with you because I sort of knew. At least, uh, you know, you know, at being—I don't know how old, how old. What, what year did that happen? Ninety. February
1: ninth, nineteen ninety-one. February ninth, nineteen ninety-one. It was my father's forty-third birthday. The night we went to, I got tickets to take him to the fight because Sugar Ray Leonard had never fought in Madison Square Garden. Right. It was the first and only time he fought in the garden, and so I got tickets because you know Sugar, even though both my father and I despised Sugar Ray
2: because he
1: beat us. <laughs> He beat our boy, he beat Duran and Hearns, two yeah. of our favorites. Yeah. And, we, and Benitez, three of our favorites. He beat. <laughs> we despised Leonard. I bought the tickets because A, you used to get his ass kicked. Yep. And B, my father had never my father had never seen him live. I mean, we had seen everybody else. We saw Duran live. Uh, we never know. We never got to see Hearns live because Hearns never fought in the garden. But we got to see almost everybody else live. My father used to take me to the garden all the time. We never got to see Ray London live. So we went and we knew he had no shot against Terry Norris. Terry Norris, at that point in time, was 23, 24 years old, and he was one of the best fighters in the world, even though he was basically a secret to the to the mainstream world. Uh, a year prior to that, he had knocked out John Mugabe in the first round, destroyed John, the Beast Mugabe. Mugabe was never the same after that. Mugabe was a punching bag after that. Uh, and, we, and we saw the punishment Sugar Ray took in this fight against Thomas Hearns. And the fight against Durant, we went to see that at a closed circuit. That was one of the worst fights we ever went to see. (laughs) And that Sugar Ray Leonard wasn't beating Terry Norris. To beat Terry Norris, you had to have punching power and hand speed, which Sugar Ray Leonard had nothing left at that point in time. We knew he didn't have a shot in the world. And the majority of the crowd was rooting for Leonard. That night, it was like watching a funeral. It was like attending a funeral. The crowd was silent. I mean, Sugar Ray from the opening belt took a, a hellacious beating. I compared it to Larry Holmes versus Muhammad Ali. It was, it was. And that night, my father and I were crying and we, we went home. I mean, we, we were in tears. Uh, this night, we sat among a bunch of people crying. Uh, we were laughing our asses <laughs> off. So,
0: th- this fight seemed like a little bit of a misstep for Leonard because. He leaves HBO, heads over to Showtime. Yep. This fight is not even on pay per view, which is actually kind of no, surprising to me.
1: it was, it, which which hurt the and, and the guard was even half full. Right, wow, it was a That's lot. That's the other piece. It was, it was hard. It was from a fighter of Leonard's. bad fight Sugar Ray Leonard was the number one fighter of the 1980s. He was the most marketable up until Mike Tyson came onto the scene in 1986. Sugar Ray Leonard dominated, but even in retirement, the talk was. It's great coming back. It's great coming. back. Blah, 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 blah. He was the fighter of the '80s, and for him the fight my God for the first first time, and less than ten thousand people paid to come see this fight, and it, it was it, it it was a tra- the fight was on Showtime, which might have affected the gate. But you know, if you're a draw card, it doesn't matter if they have the fight on ABC free television. People are coming. Kind of, I mean, the fight. When Muhammad Ali beat Leon Spinks in a rematch in 19, September 15, 1978, the fight was on ABC television. The Superdome still did over 50,000 people. So, what and do you think? Th- what do you think the reason is? Yeah. is?
0: Is it just because, like you said, Norris was a little bit of a uh, of an unknown was, from a main event you fighter perspective? When you're when
1: you when you're a great fighter, you sell out. Duran sold out the guard many times when he fought guys no one ever heard of. It is the same thing with Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali would, would, would fight stiffs and sell out everywhere he went. I mean, he sold out uh, the cap center against a Evangelista. Ali is 60 years old. Evangelista is is a, is a bubby. He, he, he got two left feet. He sold out the cap center. So it it it, it stopped because he got uh, he was fighting he fight a I think people weren't buying, buying the fight. I think people were tired of Sugar Ray Leonard's constant comebacks. What what, so. what
0: And it, was it possibly because of the performance against Duran where he didn't really take, you know, he didn't take a lot of uh, risks in that fight. He knew he could outbox him. He knew he could stay away. He, he,
1: knew, he knew that he, he, did, he took the right fight. He wasn't giving the Hearns a third fight because Hearns, as we talked about many times, Hearns was raw for Sugar Ray Leonard. I yeah. mean, if they got in the ring today, both past their prime. Uh, Sugar Ray's over 60. Hearns is approaching 60. Hearns could give Sugar Ray let it out. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a matchup. Yeah. It's, just, it's just a bad style for Sugar Ray. So he wasn't giving Hearns a third fight. Hearns, hearns is a bad
0: matchup for everybody except for Iran Barkley.
1: Everybody except Iran Barkley. Unfuckable. And by the way, best of friends today, him and Barkley. <laughs> wow.
0: That's amazing. <laughs> well,
1: Hearns, Hearns helped Barkley. Out. Hearns, Barkley was all but homeless a few years ago. And Hearns, Sugary Leonard, Jerry Cooney, Larry Holmes, they got together. Uh, they, 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 uh, donated money to a fund Fire at Barkley, got an apartment. And, um, he's got a job as a greeter throughout Atlantic city, Las Vegas for, uh, for, for fight cards and, and for, and, and for, uh, fight functions. So, uh, and, and Hearns and Buck are uh, real close. And, uh, That's kudos awesome. To, you know, to, to, to Thomas Hearns, and to Sugar Ray, and to Jerry Cooney. Jerry Cooney, people will talk about this. Jerry Cooney fought his drug demons and is an advocate for ex-fighters all over the United States. So uh, shout out to those guys doing yeoman's work.
0: Great community.
1: Yeah. So, okay,
0: so uh, what did you think of, you know, we, you you know this era better than than just about anybody um the you know the the entire podcast was was such an experience for me to kind of not only relive an era now you know i i i i would say that i was very familiar with 85 and on because i would i would have been about nine or ten years old and would have watched watched everything from there but previous to that everything was sort of legend to me and so when you know, when when we decided to start the podcast, I decided to go back, watch everything, read everything. Obviously the um the Four Kings book the George
1: Kimball the book. The George Kimball book, which in my opinion is the greatest boxing book ever written to this day. And I've read read them all. Tremendous, tremendous book and very detailed and your show did yeoman's work in research just like George Kimball did. And George Kimball did have Dumos. Much research because he covered every single fight. Right, he was a, he was a boxer he was a boxing writer and he was at every one of those fights. He was at ringside. He was at every one of those fights. So he relived his experience and plus he had a relationship with all four fighters and he interviewed all four fighters for his book. So I mean, I mean, and rest in peace and soul because he died. Another guy who died far too young. Uh,
0: yeah, it's and, well, and so, my so so my my, but my my question is is that you know you you often um will talk about watching a lot of these fights with your with your dad. Yes. And yes. and you know this was a kind of a big deal for you growing up and oh, as yes. for someone who you know who had all of these memories uh, of this era when when you think about the eras in boxing that you've covered either from when you watched it or just from in your research because you're a boxing historian yourself yes. going all yes. the way back and and you cover I mean and you watch everything today like how like wh- where does that era stand the fabulous four where do those guys stand as far as you know your your favorite times watching boxing
1: if you look at the history of professional boxing in the in the United States the era of the four kings which basically is 1977 to 1991. Basically, because also 1991 was the year Thomas Hearns upset Virgil Hill to win the WBA Light Heavyweight Championship and a huge upset in which Thomas Hearns outboxed a master boxer in Virgil Hill. And Virgil Hill had one of the great jabs in the history of boxing, and Thomas Hearns shut that down with his own jab. That's why, in my opinion, the two greatest jabs in the history of boxing were Larry Holmes and Thomas Hearns, because nobody outjabbed those guys. Nobody outjabbed. Even Evander Holyfield couldn't out jab Larry, a uh, ninety-year-old uh, Larry Holt. Okay, <laughs> so we go back. So we go back. That is so. From nineteen seventy-seven to nineteen ninety-one, that's the era we're talking about. These four men: Duran, Hagler, Leonard, Hearn, That era is up there with the nineteen-fifties era of Sugar Ray Robinson, Rocky Marciano. That was a golden age of boxing. It's up there with the heavyweight era of the nineteen-seventies, Ali. The greatest era for heavyweight boxing ever: Ali, Frazier, Norton, Holmes. Later in the decade, just a great era George Foreman, just a great era Ernie Shavers, Ron Lyle. I mean, the list of fighters that in the heavyweight, those guys would be heavyweight champion of the world today. Because as good as Joshua, Wilder, and Fury are perceived to be, they, they would they would lose to those same guys. Today in their primes, so the, it's on that level. Uh, it's on that, and then the wrong twenty with, with with Jack Dempsey, and Jack Dempsey was the biggest sports star on the planet, and that saying a lot, being that he was in the same era as Babe Ruth, uh, the the first major baseball legend. So those eras, that that era is on a level of those eras.
0: The. Uh... So, the I, I, I get. I guess the the part that you know, the when when I when Duan and I looked back at it, and, you know, we did all the episodes. We did the epilogue, which was kind of like, okay, now let's stand back and let's look at yeah. you know all the things that we learned. Um, I want to ask you some of the same questions that I asked him before we close out this podcast, yeah. which is, yeah. what do you consider to be the quintessential fight of that era? And also, this may be different. Which, I, I think I know the answer to this question, but which of the fights did you feel like was you know the, the best fight of the era? Uh,
1: the answer is, 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 is the same for both. Uh, the, Leonard, the, the Leonard Hearns showdown, the first fight. That was LeBron James playing Michael Jordan one-on-one in basketball. Two great fighters. Two athletically athletically gifted fighters, the two best fighters on the planet, two of the greatest welts. Anybody that's that followed your website, read my articles. These are two of the great, two of the five greatest welterweights of all time: Thomas Hearns and Sugar Ray Leonard. September sixteenth, nineteen eighty-one. These two guys fight. These are the two best fighters on the planet. Um, and one of the rare cases where the two best fighters on the planet fight each other. And um, in for the world, for the unification, for the undisputed welterweight champion of the world, the welterweight division being the number one division in the history of boxing when it comes to talent, when it comes to legendary fighters, no other division comes close. The welterweight division, since its inception, has had one great champion after another. You you must you must have great a great legacy of a division when Pernell Whitaker and Felix Trinidad don't even crack my top five. Mm-hmm. That's how great that division is. Pernell Whitaker and Felix Trinidad, two all-time great legendary fighters, weren't even in my top five greatest welterweights of all time. That's saying a lot. That's how great uh, that, that division has been. It still is to this day. Look at the talent today in the welterweight division. The, the, the best division of boxing still to this day. Currently, that fight was the best fight because you had these two superior fighters fighting each other at the top of their level, at the top of their game. It would be like seeing a 24-year-old Michael Jordan play a 24-year-old LeBron James one-on-one in basketball. And at that time, one guy was 23 and one guy was 24.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, uh, this may be the same answer, but would that also be the one fight that you would have wanted to attend in, in person?
1: I saw it on closed circuit in the theater in the South Bronx. But if there was a way, there was no the way in the world. We were poor family. There was no the way in the world I could have saw it back then. But if I could t- time travel today, I'd go see that fight. And I'd try to sneak up to her in his corner and say, look, man. <laughs> this <laughs> 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 look, man, just... Hold, hold, motherfucker, hold! Don't even do anything. Just hold.
0: <laughs> so, uh, so I know that um, you know you you've been writing a lot of historical pieces for us, and you've sent me uh, the first of five. But kind yes. of pre preview uh, the next weight class that you're going to write about.
1: All right, I've done the middleweights, where, where uh I've done the junior middleweight, super welterweight, same division, and I've done the welterweight. And so they're all on Double G's Fight Game Media uh, website. You can read all those. uh, And the toughest I had was the junior middleweights because Mike McCollum and Thomas Hearns never fought each other. And they 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 reigned at the same time. And they beat a lot of great fighters, but they never fought each other because Emmanuel Stewart was smart. He knew that Mike McCollum was all wrong for not enough money to put these two together. Anyway, Daniel Stewart trained Mike McCollum. He knew McCollum and Hearns sparred together. He knew that McCollum had the type of style. And gun to my head, and Hearns is my favorite fighter of all time. Gun to my head, Mike McCollum knocks out Tommy Hearns late in the fight. Wow. McCollum had a great chin. McCollum has a great chin. And he would absorb that phenomenal right cross. He would walk through that left jab. He would go through fire. And he would be way behind. But in a 15-round fight, he stopped Thomas Hearns in the 13th or 14th round. So, and um, I think Emmanuel Stewart knew this, and he kept Hearns away from McConnell. That being said, I had to put Hearns number one because no other junior middleweight, super welterweight in the history of that division has beaten two men on the level of Wilfred Benitez and Roberto Duran, and he decimated Duran. Look what he did to these two fighters. He decimated Duran. Durant still hasn't gotten up from that knockout. He still lies face first on the canvas in Las Vegas, and he outboxed one of the greatest counterpuncher defensive fighters of all time in Wilfred Benitez. Nobody outboxed him. So those two wins surpassed anything. And Mike McCollum beat, knocked out Julian Jackson, who's, who's about to be inducted into the inter- International Boxing Hall of Fame, and he knocked out Donald Curry, who's also going to be inducted in Hollywood can't wait to see a videotape of uh, 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 the video you want well, to post on YouTube of these two guys talking about their career. I hope McCollum's in the audience because both these guys who are being inducted in June were knocked out by Mike McCollum, mm-hmm. the biggest win of his career as a junior middleweight. And those guys, uh, hers victory supersede those of Mike McCollum, but I wish they would have gotten to a fight. They would have fought each other because it would have been a great, great fight. Because McCollum, with that chin and his body punching ability, would have wore Tommy down.
0: So we'll, we will get those. Uh, we will start with uh, the first piece, and I will put that up yeah, now, this now week.
1: Doing, now I'm doing the i the lightweight division, and number five is the legendary the the the, Rican, the first legendary Puerto Rican fighter, and the and the fighter that set the tone for the Puerto Rican style of boxing, Carlos Ortiz. First guy wrote, Carlos Ortiz fought everybody, stuck nobody. He went to your backyard. He fought the great Nicol- Nicolino Loche, one of the greatest defensive fighters, one of the greatest fighters of Argentina. He went to Argentina, and while there's no footage of this fight, the fight was called a draw. And we know Double G that when you go to somebody's backyard mm-hmm. and you get a draw, you were robbed. Right? <laughs> you won the fight. Right? You won the fight. That happens all the time. So the fight was a draw. So basically, I mean he fought everybody. He beat a legendary champion in Joe Brown. It was between Ortiz and Joe Brown for number five, but since he convincingly beat Joe Brown, Ortiz gets my number five spot. And when you see the other junior lightweight I talk about, all of these guys, the guys above Ortiz, I'm not put. Ortiz is not one of the top 10 fighters of all time, but the next four guys that I talk about in the lightweight of uh, uh, historical pieces I'm doing, the, the next four, all have a claim to be one of the 10 greatest fighters of all
0: time. So look for that. We will start putting those up this week. Uh, tell me, uh, just tell uh, tell everyone else, the, the, two, the few podcasts that you're on, I know that you have the World Championship Boxing Podcast, and then you also do one um, uh, on movies, and then I know there's some TV stuff, like tell the people yeah, about your podcasts. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, what I love about Double G's uh, fight game uh, podcast when he does the boxing podcast you have a million boxing podcasts out there that cover today's product right. right but you only have a handful that cover the history of the sport you got steve bunch Steve yep. bunch, how however you say his name yep you got you and you got me that's it, <laughs> that's it. everybody else is talking about terence crawford lobo uh They still talk about Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao. Yep. But us three, we talk about the history of the sport. Uh, If you go to Block Talk Radio or you go to my man, our our mutual friend, uh, Danny's uh, website, Geekdom101, all right, you have our entire archive of the World Championship Boxing Podcast where we've covered – we've done 51 shows on the greatest fights in boxing history. And I – I mean – we talk about them all. We talk about them all. Leonard Hearns, Leonard Duran, Leonard Hagler. We talk about all the legendary, great, the Gaddy War, the entire Gaddy War series. We talk about them all. And those, so each show were two or three of the greatest fights of all time, and we, and we talk about it. I talk about it from a historical point of view and, and what I was doing at the time, if I was alive watching the fight or when I first saw it. And i break down what happened before and after and the aftermath of, of each fighter's career. And then we've done for the last, not the six years, uh, on a weekly basis, greatest performances in boxing history, where we take a legendary fighter, not just any fighter, a legendary fighter, a Hall of Fame fighter, or a fighter that I believe has been shunned by the Hall of Fame and belongs to the Hall of Fame, and we talk about their three greatest performances. We just did our 113th fighter. Jay's buddy McGurk, who wow. was inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame in June, we talk about his three greatest performances. But we've talked about them all. The only two we haven't talked about is because we did specials on this. We I we didn't do a, uh, a great performance on Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier because we did career retrospectives on them, which were standalones. So we Don't even do a great performance when we did their entire careers on exclusive podcasts on both fighters, also available. On geekdom 101com uh, we've talked. We we we've done Floyd. We talked about Floyd Mayweather. We've even talked about recent fighters: Terrence Crawford, Vasiliy Lomachenko. We've done Sugar Ray Leonard, Thomas Hearns, James Tony, Mike McCollum, Duran, Hagler. We've talked about them all. 113 fighters, and you listen to the podcast. I talk about before the, their three greatest performances. I talk about their upbringing, what they did as an amateur their early career, then I delve into each one of their greatest performances, what was happening at the time, and then I talk about the aftermath of their career. And the majority of these 113 fighters did not turn out too well. Uh, As you know from the history of boxing, boxing is a cruel sport to those that uh, fight too long. And the majority of these fighters fought far too long. And as bad as they turned out, the stories of the opponents that they destroyed in the ring are even more tragic.
0: Yeah, yeah, tough, tough, tough. So, um, so before we get out of here, you are also a huge fan of uh, of R and B music and a historian as well. Before, yeah. but get, give the male members of of the listening audience, and, and if there are female members, I hope there are, I hope there are at least a few, shout out to all the female uh, members listening, female people missing, listening to the show. But give the male, give the dudes kind of like, what's the go-to, break it down, lay it down, slow jam for like, you know, you kind of got to get the mood right. Well, what's, what's, your, what's your number one R&B Man, song for I- that?
1: It 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 usually depends on on. It, it usually depends on the time of, of, of the the era that I was living in. It's That there's not just one song. When um when I was a kid, it was Fire and Desire. When I first started having relations, back when I was 15 years old, back in 1983, it was Fire and Desire by Rick James and Tina Marie. Tina Marie. Oh uh, yeah. When as I got older, uh, Key Sweat was a Key Sweat and Prince. People sleep on Prince. Prince had a lot of soulful R and B slow jazz with two R in Love, uh Adore. Adore was my when I lived in New Orleans, when I was going to school in New Orleans in nineteen eighty seven and nineteen eighty eight, Adore was my go-to song back then. <laughs> um uh, I know he I know he's taken a beating the last year, but there's been many R. Kelly songs. Mm-hmm. That was a go-to song for me. Teddy Pendergrass, my all-time favorite uh, R&B singer of all time, and that's saying a lot because I got a lot of favorites. Uh, turn off the lights was at one time a go-to song for me. Um, those have been my yeah. Turn off. Oh, uh, rock with you when it first came out by Bobby Brown Bobby was Brown. a go-to song. Was a go-to. My 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 was a go-to song for me by by uh, by by, John, by Johnny Gill. There's been there's been a uh, a, a, a lot. There's been a lot, uh, and I, I favor the sad song over the sexual slow jam. And mm-hmm. some of my favorite, I mean, uh, "Cry for You" by Jodeci. Whenever I've been down or heartbroken, I would uh, I would play that song, it would be, "Baby, I'm begging, baby, I'm begging." Like, <laughs> I just I love the the unison with it, 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 the. Uh, when when all four members are just just singing that in harmony, yes, harmonizing that part. Yep. So yeah. There's been a oh, forever my lady was a great go to song because of yep. uh, my son was born right around the time, nineteen ninety two, right around the time that song came out, and my mother was like, Oh, that's the song, that's the song, that should be your song. And when I first heard it said, Oh shit, yeah. Uh she stayed my lady for another year and, and then I took my son and went. <laughs> 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 so yeah, so there have been many a go to song recently. What was a what was a great go to song recently that, that I that that I enjoyed? Um, that's a that's a that's a good uh, there was a song a couple of years ago that I really, really love and I still play to this day on my iTunes, uh, Before I Do by 7th Streeter. I love that song. Uh Focus by Her. That's a great song. Her her hers got some moment. good stuff focus is tremendous uh tremendous you want to lay with your girl play p- play that song um so yeah uh it, it's a, a number just too many just too many uh i feel that's about. That,
0: that's the next podcast you're gonna do is yeah. something around the history of r&b music around billboard charts around now, was, genres now, stuff like see, that
1: there, the one guy want to do that podcast is with you, so we got to make that happen.
0: <laughs> definitely, definitely.
1: All right, we man. We make that. We we can make that happen one day. Uh, uh I don't know, greatest R&B groups, greatest song. R- oh, by the way, on Geek 101com One dot com, um, I have a series of articles. It's called Silver Linings Playbook, and in those in in those series of articles, I run down my ten greatest R&B singers, male singers of all time from ten. Wow. Starting at Teddy Pendergrass for number 10 and the number one and he's number one it it, it, it was you, know, you you take an educational guest listeners and you know who number one is but I would like you guys and I also did a history of the new Jack Swing yeah. the most the the the, the most uh, influential albums of the new Jack Swing era my favorite the new Jack Swing era was my Fat Four era when it comes to R&B music my favorite era That. Like, the Fab Four era was my favorite era of boxing. The New Jack Swing era was my favorite era of music. And it's funny because the two intertwined. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um and, and, you know, I'll throw this out there, but I was just on uh, – I, when I was in New York, um my buddy, he does a two-hour set every Wednesday night on uh, a streaming channel called Radio Free Brooklyn, and he had me on his show the show is called the Jerry Curl Chronicles and i asked like i begged him to be on this show i was like i need to be on it i love i love your that's radio cool. show
1: that's cool and that's so cool. and so he
0: asked me you know well what do you want to play like what's the playlist and i was like i know like you, i know the zone of songs is anywhere from like the late 70s to like the mid 80s but can we do like an all new edition and new edition friends and family playlist he's like let's do it so we were we were on for two hours. It was like all new edition stuff, and it was so fun. Um, if you want to listen to that, I will link to it in the show notes. But uh, yeah. it's it's the put Jerry. The
1: the, put, put, the, put the link in the show notes, because if you do new edition and extended family, Johnny Gill, BBD, uh, when I do start writing articles on the greatest R&B acts of all time, I'm going to put new edition slash BBD as one separate entity, because one is not without the other.
2: Yeah. I mean, absolutely. there's no
1: B V D without the new So yeah, that, that it's just endless. And Johnny Gill still putting out great music to this day. Uh he's got a new song out called Soul of a Woman, which is on par with his with All stuff. There's never if you look at Johnny Gill's albums since nineteen ninety when he came out with Johnny Gill when he was on first on Motown to to this day, they every one of his albums have been strong with at least five or six excellent songs or even the ones that didn't sell even his last album a uh you had that great oh you were this reunion song that we love yep i love that fucking song that's a great song my girl can't stand it because she watched the video and she's like nah that's not them they're dressed they're dressed in in, in jogging suits or something nah don't let the video dissuade you from the song but she can't like it but i love that song that's new edition you listen to that song that sounds like any heartbreak new edition oh yeah oh yeah they just
0: they're just a little bit older definitely agree with you uh but they're yeah 30
1: years older Love, yeah, exactly that's that, that that album and that album called game changer tremendous album uh i highly recommend anybody that's it's rb music that haven't listened to that album listen to it because you can listen straight to it and my favorite song is that my favorite song that I was that and what is this, which is just a uh, class and which is, could be a go-to song for you fellas today by Johnny <laughs> Gill. What is <laughs> this? So, yeah. Johnny's still putting out great music. Uh BBD is touring right now as we speak. Uh they'll they, They're touring throughout the country with Bobby Brown is BBD plus Bobby. Yeah. No, RBB or RBBD, some shit like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. BBD plus B, some shit like that, but they're touring right now. And, um, New uh, edition is no longer together. Unfortunately, I hope one day they can come back together. But right now, there's two camps: there's the BBD and Bobby Brown camp, and there's the Johnny Gill and Ralph Tresvant uh, camp. So, unfortunately, the 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 momentum of their movie three years ago has died.
0: Yep, yep they they could they should have they should have just immediately gone out on tour after that movie. It was a bit it was a mistake. And uh, and, Ra- and Ralph and Johnny Gill own the trademark to the new edition name, so... That's why they're called
1: RBBD or whatever the fuck. Yeah, it's like R-B-M... Yeah, it's like... It's, like, now...
0: yeah, it's, like th- it's, it's some weird group name.
1: Some but, weird uh... shit, yeah. No, no. It's BBD. and, and Bobby, Bobby Brown's yeah. set by itself Because Bo- Bobby Brown can't move anymore. I mean, I've seen him in concert three times over the last five years uh, with new edition, uh, with BBD and uh, he's it's like Muhammad Ali at 65 trying to get in the ring it's sad and Bobby's only 50
0: (laughs) I know I know (laughs) All right, man this was a lot of fun we will do this again uh, sooner than later but check out all of Robert's stuff he's he's writing he's doing podcasts he is staying active in his fandom of all of his favorite stuff um, and obviously uh we will have his pieces on uh, on the next greatest five uh and uh, and in the future here I'm, I'm sure you'll eventually get to all the divisions at, at some point but uh yeah you know, well
1: i'll do it i'll do it lightweight and then after lightweight i'll do junior welterweight. Great. i'm working through to each division i think i'm gonna save heavyweights for last i like to do things people i like to write about fighters that are casual fan hasn't nerd of and when you hear the, the first one calls forts when you read about it Hopefully it'll influence the, uh, the the readers of of the article on your website they, oh let me let me go let me, let me go check him out on YouTube and he was a, he was a special fighter and you see Miguel Cotto and Roberto Gomez two other great Puerto Rican fighters you see where they got their style from because when you see Miguel Cotto he was a 21st century 2000 version of Carlos Ortiz yep. style very similar boxer punches with, uh, with a tremendous jab that. That were just in every fight. Never got bought. the only fight that Miguel Cota was blown out in was against Manny Pacquiao, and he had no business thinking of that fight because it was right after Margarito bludgeoned him with a foreign object.
0: Yeah, craziness. <laughs> uh, all right, all right, Robert, thanks for joining us. So, for Robert, I am double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out.